everyone, and welcome to another edition of Sports with Yosef. I'm Yosef Nesinter. Today, a special guest, Todd Karpovich, writes for Sports Illustrated. He is coming on to talk some Ravens and NFL. So we're going to start off with that. After that, I'm going to talk about Jamal Adams and the trade he finally got. Why on earth is Lamar Jackson constantly disrespected? I've just had enough of it. And it's not just Lamar Jackson. All of these lists are wrong, but I'm constantly harping on these Ravens because it just annoys me. I'll talk more about that. Baseball is Back and so is COVID cases in baseball. More on that all coming up and much, much more on Sports with Yosef. Training camp is just hours away. I'll be at a little bit more hours than I prefer, but we're really, it's coming up starting to really tomorrow. Joining me today on Sports with Yosef to talk some Baltimore football, it's Todd Karpovich. Todd, he writes for Sports Illustrated, covering the Ravens and the NFL. He has written and co authored numerous books, including. If the Walls Could Talk, stories from the Baltimore Ravens sidelines. He knows the Ravens in and out. He knows the NFL in and out. And today, coming on to talk some sports. Todd, thank you so much for coming on. And for giving me some time. Anytime. So, I mean, last year, the Ravens season, it ended with a beatdown by the Titans. Definitely not what the majority of people expected. Did the Titans figure out how to beat Lamar Jackson? Or did they luck into a situation where the rest of the Ravens didn't do all that well? I mean, there were a lot of drops. I was not a, I did not like the play calling all that much. And not, not really pass run situations, but what they were calling in those passing plays. I'm, wonder, and I don't, I'm wondering if they found out how to beat the Ravens or did the Ravens just find a way to lose? Well, if you ask the Ravens, uh, you know, John Harbaugh or many of the players, they just said they picked the wrong day to have a bad game. They said there was nothing really that the Titans did that they didn't know was coming. John Harbaugh said, we just didn't play well. We had a great regular season, and we just laid an egg in the the postseason. They're going to learn from it. Um, That said, um, they did get away from their game plan. One thing that hurt them was um, Mark Ingram was hurt. He only got about five five to eight carries that game because he had that calf injury. He suffered against Cleveland. And for some reason, they they, they never got Gus Edwards involved in the game. And, of course, Lamar, Lamar Jackson had 500 yards total offense. So you can't point the finger at him. I mean, let's face it, the biggest issue of that game was Derrick Henry. He ran for 295 yards. They couldn't stop him. And that's why they went out this offseason and got Calais Campbell and Derrick Wolf. Um, but, yeah, I don't think the, um, the Titans put any blueprint how to beat the Ravens. The Ravens didn't play well. Now, that said, you know, the prior year, people were sitting in the loss to the Chargers in a playoff game. They were like, well, the Chargers provided that blueprint to stop the Ravens. They're bringing up some um, extra defensive backs who are fast and can chase down Lamar Jackson. And they were like, well, that's going to be the blueprint. What happens? The Ravens win 14 games. So um, I, I think people will be watching that Titans video. But, again, the Ravens are going to make their own adjustments. They, uh, they just didn't play well. And I think if the Ravens play the Titans five times, they win four times. And so, I mean, you mentioned the Chargers game. Lamar Jackson constantly criticized about his inability to win in the playoffs. And to be frank, he was the youngest quarterback to ever start a playoff game against the Chargers. And we, and we just discussed the Titans. Is this criticism fair that he can't win a playoff game? Or is this ridiculous? Like, hello, when, Peyton Manning didn't start off winning playoff games either. That's exactly right. That's what John Harbaugh says. He says, uh, Lamar's a pretty good company without winning a playoff. He has the Manning brothers, Breeze, uh, Troy Aikman, uh, uh, countless others, you know, guys who take a little time to win a playoff game. Now, Lamar, 
He's very upset about it. That's all he talks about is I have to win. A, anytime he hears these Patrick Mahomes comparisons, he says, you can't compare me to him yet. I haven't won a playoff game. And I think he's right. Um, Lamar's a reigning, reigning NFL MVP. He's going into his third year where he should take a big jump. Now, how much the lack of off-season workouts are going to hinder him, that remains to be seen. But he did do his work. He worked out with his private quarterbacks coach in Florida, Josh Harris, um, throughout, the, throughout the spring. He also had his receivers for the Ravens come down, and they worked out in a public park. So he put his work in, albeit without the Ravens coaches. So we'll see how Lamar Jackson takes the next step in his development. But I think, obviously, he's going to be more comfortable during year three. But again, yeah, that, um, that no postseason wins is a monkey on his back. What do you expect that next step to be for Lamar Jackson, throwing outside the numbers, the deep ball? That it's exactly the, it's exactly the two areas he had to work on this offseason, throwing outside the hash marks and being more accurate throwing downfield. Now, uh, one of the keys here is Marquise Brown was fully healthy this offseason. Last year, he was drafted. He had foot surgery. He had a screw in his foot the entire year. He was sort of hampered, and still had a great year. This season, he's been able to work out. He's bulked up because he photos of him. He added some muscle, some weight. He's going to be a downfield threat for Lamar Jackson. Those two are going to be a spark. Amaz um, Boykin also expected to take the next step in his development. He, he could be key. And the Ravens really like this rookie, Devin DuVernay. So Lamar Jackson has some weapons. And obviously, the Ravens would like him to run less if he can. But if Lamar Jackson needs to run to win a game, that's what he's going to do. So that, that's where we are. But yeah, ideally, Lamar Jackson does, you know, he again, he threw for 3,000 yards and 36 touchdowns last year. So it's going it's to be hard to top that. So his, um, you know, how much he develops might be in more mechanics, not in the stats. I think that's a really good point uh, just about the statistically, I mean, he had a season historic for the ages, as did the Ravens year season, as did the Ravens team in general offensively. And now the pressure is going to be on them to repeat it. And, but they traded away an offensive weapon in Hayden Hurst. How, how does losing Hurst, and I know that Hurst didn't get a lot of reps, but when he did, he made an impact. And it was repeatedly made an impact. So uh, what, are they, what are they losing in Hayden Hurst? Well, Hurst, uh, Hurst you know, he was a first-round pick. Um, so expectations were high. He got injured in his rookie year in camp. And Mark Andrews uh, took advantage uh, and never, never – released his grip in the, start, in the starting spot. And it's funny because uh, initially Mark Andrews didn't practice that great as a rookie, but once the lights came on, he became a playmaker. and He became Lamar Jackson's favorite target. So the Ravens, so Hayden Hurst was not getting the reps he wanted behind Mark Andrews and Nick Boyle. So the Ravens, you know, they traded him for a fifth round pick. And I think they got some value in there. Um, they're going to look at a couple undrafted rookies, you know, Eli Wolf, one of them, who are probably going to make the roster one way or another. The Ravens have really good fortune with undrafted rookies. And uh, I think this year will be no different. Albeit, it's going to be a smaller, smaller, um, smaller pool to choose from because of the NFL. They want 80 players instead of 90 in training camp. So it'll be a challenge. But again, Andrews and Boyle are going to take the brunt of the, of the work this year, no matter what. I mean, you mentioned that it's going to be a lot harder for undrafted rookies. There's no preseason. So I feel like veterans are going to get much more of a chance to perform on the field and just because they have those reps in the NFL before. They know theoretically know what it means to be an NFL player versus an undrafted rookie coming in, having to win a spot without the preseason. You still think that's going to happen? It's going to be difficult. But again, they have, they have a lot of spots to fill. The biggest challenge with that is going to be uh, – 
the line, the middle linebackers, Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison, um, because they're they're expected to start, you know, in a three-four defense. And uh, uh, John Harbaugh envisions Patrick Queen being a three-down player. Now, the first time he's going to get live NFL action is the opener against Cleveland. That's sort of that's going to be difficult for me being, you know being a college player and jumping right into a regular season as a pro to deal with the speed of the game. And the Browns are going to come right at them. The Browns have a, they're going to have a really good offense. So it's going to be a big challenge. Um, so that's going to be a big question mark for the Ravens. Of course, they got LJ Fortin there, a veteran who can step in and provide support. But yeah, um, the Ravens are going to rely heavily on their veterans. You know, that's why we, we talk about the running thing. They have a four headed monster running back with JK Dobbins in the mix. But again, you're going to see a lot of Mark Ingram in the beginning of the year because the Ravens want that veteran presence. They, they're going to need that early on especially with no preseason, you know, the, uh, the contacts will be minimal with practice the way these uh, social distancing guidelines are. So it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a really big challenge for these young players in a way that no other young player has ever experienced in the history of the NFL. You mentioned the backfield. You, you said Mark Ingram is going to be getting a lot of snaps early on. What about Justice Hill? Hill didn't get a lot of snaps last year. And now with J.K. Dobbins coming in, I think the Ravens want to go to Dobbins as their change of pace back. What's his role going to be? Yeah. I agree. And they, they could not believe that Dobbins fell to them. They thought he was the best running back in the draft. And he's going to have all the opportunities to really slide the depth chart, maybe even surpass Ingram. And you got Gus Edwards, who's playing on a one-year deal. So I don't know how much involved. I mean, they'll use him. Gus's talent. Gus led the team in rushing as a rookie. Um, and again, Justice Hill, you know, he, he did. They like his spark. He had limited opportunities last year. He might be able to find a niche on special teams, but uh, he's going he's to be difficult to find some carries with J.K. Dobbins in the mix. I mean, there's only so many carries to go around, and then you have Lamar Jackson who runs the ball. So, um, but I will say that um, Greg Roman had admitted, we talked to him, I guess, in May or maybe early June. He said it's going to be really difficult to put in a whole new offense because of the new offseason workouts. So it's, you're going to see a lot of base runs. And the Ravens, of course, they had the best running attack in the history of NFL last year. And they're looking for that to carry over again this season. Um, just hypothesizing here, would the plan be for Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards to be the backs this year mainly? And then they're gone after 2020. And then the, the, it turns over to J.K. Dobbins and Justice Hill? Yeah, I would, I would think, I think um, – uh, Mark Ingram turns 31 in December. Um, he's got, he's not another, uh, he's still got some time left from his deal. I think Gus, they let Gus Edwards walk as a free agent. I think Gus can, uh, can resurrect his career elsewhere. If he's not getting an opportunity here, he's a really good running back. Uh, but again, the future's J.K. Dobbins. And we'll see what Justice Hill can do um, if he gets more opportunities this year. Again, he'll be in his second year. So um, they'll be, they'll expect him to carry more responsibility, um, especially, again, with this abbreviated preseason. You, we mentioned this run, we've just been mentioning this running back position battle. What other position battles are you intrigued by? Well, the big one is, is a right guard with Marshall Young of the tower and after 13 seasons and eight Pro Bowls. Um, I would think they signed DJ Fluker, who got cut from Seattle, uh, to come in as a veteran presence. He's, he was 6'5, 340 when he signed him. He's lost a lot of weight with his offseason workouts, but I think he would have the edge to take over that spot at right guard. Um, and I think, uh, you know, um, Ben Powers, they got two uh, will fight for that job. And they like this, they like Ben Bradison and Tyree Phillips, um, two rookies who could who go battle for playing time. But right guard is obviously the biggest spot. And then center, I, uh, Matt Skur is coming off a season ending knee injury that he suffered week 12 against the Rams last year. However, he passed his physical already. So he'll be ready um, to make an impact by the time the opener starts, by the time they play Cleveland in the opener. The Ravens, I think, had considered moving Bradley Bozeman over there from 
left guard into center because that's where he played at Alabama. But I think they're going to keep him as keep him there. And the Ravens will have a, they should have a pretty good uh, offensive line. That was the big battle. And then um, of course the the battle for the third tight end spot that we talked about with Jacob Breland and Eli Wolf, two undrafted rookies. Uh, the one on Breland was he could have been a fourth round pick if he didn't get hurt. So he's a guy that will keep keep an eye on during training camp. Will do. The Ravens in the offseason brought in Calais Campbell on the other side of the trenches to really solidify a defensive line that gave up, I believe, the most rushing yards in Ravens franchise history, a Ravens team that their motto has been stopping the run with the guys up front and not needing to bring up other guys to stop the run. They were not able to do that last year, and, and the end result is showed in the loss to the Titans. So you've got Campbell coming in, and Calais Campbell – one of the most versatile guys in, in the league. He can play from right on top of the, of the center and the zero, zero technique all the way out across the tight end to the nine technique. Uh, can you just quickly explain what that technique, what, what I mean by those tech, by technique? Uh, just being able to, he can get to the quarterback, he can rush the quarterback, he can stop the run, he, he's, he's not, he can jump back a little bit in pass coverage and knock down, knock down a ball. Um, he's just a fierce presence. He can get in the backfield. He's just a disruptor. He's what John Harbaugh would call a game wrecker. Um, and again, the, um, the Ravens' interior pass rush managed just four stacks last season, which is that's not going to get it done. Um, so they brought in Campbell and Derek Wolf, two guys who can get to the quarterback and they can maybe move Brandon Williams out the nose guard, uh, nose tackle, where he can really focus on his strength, which is stopping the run. And then, you know, they have a two, they drafted two big defensive linemen who are also going to be part of that rotation. So um, the, the Ravens, um, the, the, uh, I think Pro Football Focus ranked them as the number seven. Defensive line coming into the season, I think that's too low. I think the Ravens' defensive line is going to be very dominant. And then you have that secondary, um, which is so talented. They can play in man coverage, which gives the defensive line all, all the time they need to go over and try to give Martindale open the floodgates to go after the quarterbacks. Yeah, so their defense is going to be very – they should be very, very good if they stay healthy. And going back to that same point you mentioned earlier, Campbell and Wolf are veterans. So they can come in and make an impact right away. There's going to be – not much of a not much of a learning curve they need to, to get to this defense. So there might not be a lot of a learning curve, but Calais Campbell in Jacksonville, and I know this is a lot. A lot of what I'm saying is coming from the NFL Game Pass session he did, but he relied on his linebacker behind him and his defensive line men next to him to make adjustments mid-play with Patrick Queen behind him. And Queen, he's not going to have a preseason to get used to him, and he's not going to have a preseason to adjust to all the guys next to him on the defensive line. Is Campbell going to be taking a step back just because he's not going to be able to use his mind to be able to combat what he sees with film study? I don't think so. That's mainly because of Don Martindale. He's a defensive defensive genius when it comes to scheming up and and putting in a game plan. That's why he's going to be – you got looks as a head coach last season. He'll get looks as a head coach next season. Um, he's going to put him in position to, to do well. Um, and with Queen, Queen, Queen um, you know, he's coming out. He's not going to have the off-season reps and the experience. But, again, he's coming from LSU, you know, which is, it's a, you know, the top, one of the top college programs, you know, in the country. So he's played in big games. He's played against great opponents. And there's a reason the Ravens, nine of their ten draft picks came from Power 5 schools. Because they, they sort of envision this sort of thing coming. So these guys, they know what it's like, you know, when the lights go on, what they have to do. So Queen, there might be a little bit of a learning curve there, but I think he's, he's going to catch on. And they're going to let Campbell do his thing. Uh, Campbell's going to be a leader of that defense. They got Derek Wolf in there to support him. And Brandon Williams is another big body. 
So I think, I think he's going to be fine, especially the way Martindale will develop a scheme, give teams different looks. You know, he'll, um, he'll, he'll adjust on the fly. Um, look for Campbell to have a really big year in Baltimore. What about a guy who had a really big year last year, Matt Judon? And the thing with Judon is he's not just a pass rusher. What makes him so good and different from a guy, from guy like Chris Jones, who's going to put up better numbers, Judon's going to be- drop back into coverage about 200 snaps during the year. He's a sand linebacker. That's his job. He will pass rush also. But what should the Ravens be looking to resign him? I mean, they've got Orlando Brown coming up. They've got Marlon Humphrey coming up, Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews. I mean, the list goes on and on about the guys the Ravens are going to have to pay. I'm going to say record-breaking contracts because this is a ridiculously talented Ravens team. Is Matthew met- Judon on that list? You, you mentioned it. They have too many other deals. they got to sign Ryan Stanley. You know, he, he's going to be a free agent. Um, they got Marlon Humphrey coming up. They have Marlon Humphrey as a priority. You need your left tackle with Lamar Jackson. And you got the, the guys playing on the rookie deals. they got to think about extensions. Um, Judon's going to make $16.8 million this season as a franchise player. Um, you know, he, he wants um, a deal, you know, sort of similar to Darius Smith, you know, $17, $18 million range, maybe even more. He, had, he led the team with nine and a half sacks last season. If he gets over, you know, double digits this year, his value goes up. He's not going to get that in Baltimore. Um, they think they can um, – the Ravens think, you know, they let Darius Smith walk, and um, he had a huge year in Green Bay. Um, so, um, Judon will probably be allowed to test the free agent market because, again, the Ravens just have other priorities. And, um, you know, Judon has a big year. He's going to get a good big payday. Well, the Ravens aren't going to be willing to pay it, especially if the salary cap goes down next year. That's going to be that's going to be a big challenge for all NFL teams, and most most of the Ravens are always up against it. It seems like against the cap. Absolutely. What about an- another guy who on the? De- I just forgot. What I was going to say. Yeah, I love. It. Don't you love it when this happens? All right. Whatever. Moving on. How are the Ravens? I mean, you've got. They were rumored with Jamal Adams. Uh, here's what it was. T- Tavon Young, Marlon Humphrey. Marlon Humphrey, I think one of the things that really set him apart last year was his ability to go into the slot when Young got injured. How's that going to be balanced out? Because I think what made that Ravens secondary so good was you have Marcus Peters to anchor the outside, but Humphrey to go inside when those premier wide receivers went inside as well. How's that going to work out? Well, they'll probably move Humphrey around, but you know, when you have two outside cornerbacks and play a man coverage, that's huge for the defense. And that was the reason, you know, when the Ravens traded for Marcus Peters, the whole season turned around because he could, he could play, man. He could mark. And it gave the, um, the, the front seven time to get to the quarterback, you know, so they weren't getting picked apart. Um, and Tayon Young, you know, he – before he, got, he had the neck injury last year, he was an up-and-coming one of the best slot cornerbacks in the NFL. And he's ready to go. And he got he, paid like it also in the offseason. And he got paid like it before he got injured. Oh, yeah, he got, he got a big-time extension, exactly. And he's had a year off. And he wanted to come back. He wanted to come back last year. He got numerous opinions, but the Ravens thought it was just more prudent to take the year off and come back healthy. That secondary is going to be dominant. And uh, if you can move all those guys around, and you got Peters and Humphrey on the outside, Taylor Young on the slot, and you got Jimmy Smith, you know, who might play a little bit of safety, but he's a cornerback. They're going to be deep and tough. And they're going to be, you know, they're going to be able to match up. Um, if, if it all goes as planned, the Ravens are going to be very tough in the front and in the back of their defense. So what I meant to ask before this, um, off of la- the last question, with Matthew Judon likely, as you said, likely leaving Baltimore, the Ravens have one outside linebacker under contract for 2021. That's Jalen Ferguson. What are the Ravens? I mean, the Ravens didn't address that in the draft. They didn't address that in free agency. How worried are you about outside linebacker, which – the Ravens need that those outside linebackers to stop the run and let the rest of their defense function. 
Yeah, that's definitely going to keep their eye on. Um, they have, I think Ferguson's going to take a big leap into his second year. He's just a huge body. And yeah, like you said, Tyus Bowles is a free agent after this in 2021. He's going to have to have a huge year to get another contract. And Judai walks. So they'll have to look to the draft and, you know, the pickups of outside linebackers. And maybe they go in the free agent market to grab a couple stop gaps. Um, Rams have they, they're, they're pretty good shrewd Italian evaluators. I think they'll be okay. Um, with the, but yeah, with the outside linebackers. But yeah, that's that's an area they're going to need to address. And um, I'm already seeing, you know, mock drafts, mock drafts from 2021, even though we're, no, we're a year away, if they're going to take an outside linebacker with the 30th, 31st, 32nd pick, wherever they, wherever they pick. But yeah, that's an area of need they're going to need to deal with, just like they had to deal with middle linebacker this year. Which player, and I think it's Jalen Ferguson, who we just mentioned, needs to step up most for the Ravens in 2020? Um, yeah, I agree. John Ferguson has to um, be able to be that edge rusher, be that guy he was in college where he gets to the quarterback. They need to get something like we mentioned, Tyus Bowser. He's another guy that needs a, He's in a contract here. He needs a, he needs to have, he needs to step up and then have a, have a big year. Um, you got to look at the couple of receivers, Chris Moore, Willie Sneed. Um, you know, they got rookies pushing for their spots. They're going to need to come up big in training camp to have a spot, you know, Jaleel Scott, you know, he's a, was a, he's a fourth-round pick. He's going to have a lot of uphill battle to make the team. Um, you know, and then they, um, they're going to need uh, that, you know, whoever replaces John at right guard to have a big year. So, you know, there's a lot of pressure on a lot of guys. Um, and then, of course, um, James Prochet from SMU, another rookie, who's going to battle for that return, that return spot with DeAnthony Thomas. So there's some good battles in there. Um, but, yeah, I think they're looking for Ferguson to make the next step in his development. Um, Earl Thomas needs to have a better uh, – you know, he made the Pro Bowl last year, but he had a – really slow start to the season. You know, a lot of communication issues in that secondary being of the year. They had a two-game losing streak, and that was part of the reason. So he needs a, you know, he, he needs a bit more comfortable back there and, and direct traffic. I think Chuck Clark could have a really good year. Um, you know, back at safety, he, the Raiders love his leadership. Yeah, especially when they moved him up to the, that dime back against the Patriots. Like, I think that's when we really started to see him flourish. Also, after Tony Jefferson went down against the Steelers, Another safety, Jamal Adams, traded to the Seahawks. I mean, the Seahawks gave up two first-rounders, but you only make this trade if this is a trade for a Super Bowl. And is this going to be enough for a Super Bowl for the Seahawks? I don't know. It's, it's a, lot to, a lot to give up for a safety, you know. And they, they need help on defense. Um, the Ravens were not giving up two first-round picks. One first-round pick would be a lot. The Ravens value their draft picks. Um, I guess we'll see. But that was, that was a big-time um, – a big time investment by Seattle. I mean, you look at what the, you know, the Dolphins are kicking themselves when they got back for Fitzgerald to Pittsburgh. You know, and you know he's he's a heck of a player. So um, yeah, that that's a that's a that was a trade that the Seahawks were going to love if they go in the Super Bowl, or they're going to regret if they you know in the next couple of years if they fall back. And the NFC is going to be pretty good this year. Last couple of questions: How many times will the Ravens lose in the regular season? I think they'll go twelve. I think they'll split with Pittsburgh and Cleveland. Um, Dallas is going to be a tough game. The Eagles are going to be a tough game. Um, I think it's maybe your four losses. And Kansas City, of course. You know, that, that's a huge game. So, uh, I think that'll be a huge game. I actually think that's one where I, I've got the Ravens penciled in right now. It's an e I'm, I say easy win. Easy for me to write it down as a win. Because, I mean, we, we've seen Lamar Jackson's 0-2 versus Patrick Mahomes. On the road. And, and, and like you said, on the road, now he's in a home environment albeit that home environment is going to be different without fans. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but it's early in the season, so, we'll, you know, Ravens can catch them, you know, um, early. But, again, I think the Ravens are due against Kansas City. 
How far uh, are the Ravens getting the playoffs? I mean, you mentioned it earlier. Wh- where are they drafting? 30, 31, 32? I think, they're, I think this is the year Lamar Jackson gets over the hump in the playoffs. I think they could go to the AFC Championship. From there, it's a crapshoot. You know, if they go against you know, Kansas City. Keep it out of Tennessee. Nobody's talking about them. Well, they, got their, they, they have a good team that went to the AFC Championship last year, and they got almost everybody back. So they're going to be really good. Um, I think Pittsburgh with Ben Roethlisberger, again, you know, they have a really good defense. He just has to sort of manage the game. So there's going to be a lot of competition in the Patriots now. Who knows what they're going to do? you know, with Cam Newton. But, you know, you never root against Bill Belichick. Um, so I think the Ravens have the talent to go to the AFC Championship. From there, we'll see, we'll see what happens. They have to stay healthy. They have to stay healthy. Awesome. Thank you so much, Todd. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. It's a pleasure. That was Todd Karpovich. You can find him on Twitter, at Todd Karpovich. Go follow him, interact with his content, read his articles. Great stuff from there from Todd. Make sure you check me out on Twitter at YosefM613 as well, Y-O-S-E-F-M-613. Make sure you check out the rest of my podcast on Sports with Yosef. You know where to find it. You're listening to it if you want to find it on an easier site, depending on where you're listening, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or online. It's in practically every location I can get it to. But if you find somewhere else where it's not on, send me a message on Twitter and I will try to get it there as well. Check out all my articles for Tackler.com, Tecmohole.com, and of course, FlurrySports.org. I don't really know like what the URL is for my specific username there, but go check it out and I don't know, put it into browser. I don't know. You'll see if it's into Flurry Sports, it should come up. Also, check out all my videos on Sportscaster, including Countdown to NFL, which Luke... Brown, Hugo, Traverso, and I get you ready for the NFL season. That's 4.30 every Wednesday. Make sure you check that out, along with all of my other videos. All right, to sports. Jamal Adams, I mean, he's been constantly rumored to be traded, whether it be with the Ravens, I think he was rumored a little bit with the Texans, Chiefs, Seahawks, uh, maybe not Seahawks, Cowboys. He'd just been constantly rumored with really good teams. And he wasn't really rumored with bad teams. And I actually found that very interesting that he didn't really want to be traded to another bad team. He wanted to be traded to a team that could win. Well, he got his wish because he was traded to the Seattle Seahawks. And this was a pretty big trade. I mean, he was traded for a 2021 first-round draft pick, a 2022 first-round draft pick, and then I believe a 2020-something third-round draft pick in exchange for, with Jamal Adams all going, no, that that was going, Jamal Adams was going to the Seahawks with a fourth-round draft pick from the Jets in 2022, I think. So then those two firsts and a third, plus safety Bradley McDougal coming to the Jets. And here was the thing with this Jets-Seahawks trade. Jamal Adams, a, tra- a game-changing talent. He's going into a Seattle defense that had previously sported two very, very good safeties in Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas during their Legion of Boom. Now with this setup of getting Jamal Adams, they are in a very interesting position because Adams is very similar to Cam Chancellor. Very good in the box, good against the run, good blitzer, physical. He knows football. And I was wondering, is this kind of going to be a new Legion of 
boom, kinda. Like, is this kind of what Pete Carroll's trying to dial up in Seattle? Because Seattle's a piece or two away from the Super Bowl. Except they're not. Is Jamal Adams that piece? Well, the last time there was a trade for two first-round draft picks was the Khalil Mack trade from the Raiders to the Bears. The thing with the NFC right now, and why I don't think this is enough to put the Seahawks to a Super Bowl, is just look at the NFC. We're talking Buccaneers, Saints, Packers, 49ers. Who am I missing? I've got to be missing someone because this NFC is so talented. I mean, there's the whole hype train on the Cardinals, which I do not buy into. Check out some of those Sportscaster videos. Actually, the first episode of NFL Countdown with Luke and Hugo for more of an explanation on that. But the NFC is ridiculously talented, and I just don't think the Seahawks are going to be able to do it. Now, that said, theoretically, they could do it just because they were a couple inches away last year from having a bye in the playoffs. Winning their division, I, I think they would have had a bye. Maybe they wouldn't have. They, they would for sure have won their division. They're in a different playoff spot. 49ers are in a different playoff spot because they've got to go on the road. They don't have a bye. It's a different playoffs. Does Patrick Mahomes still win the Super Bowl and get a $503 million contract? Possibly. I don't know, but I'm not convinced that the same results happen. I don't think it would have messed up. I think he probably would have still played in the Super Bowl. Let me phrase that. He would have still played in the Super Bowl. But I'm not so sure who he would have played again. Uh, and it could have been a very different game. So that's the Seahawks. I mean, they're in a position with... Jamal Adams still wants a long-term deal to become the highest paid safety of all time. And he's good, probably going to get that in Seattle. And because it'll be a long-term deal, the Seahawks are going to be, look, we're in contention for a Super Bowl for the next five years. During the next five years, could they, they have a chance to get to a Super Bowl and possibly win one? Absolutely. Next two years, no. Not happening next two years. Because the NFC really is that stacked with Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. The list goes on and on. The NFC is ridiculously stacked. As the AFC is stacked, but it's not ridiculously stacked. And it kind of depends if do you buy into the Bills, do you buy into the Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger? Who do you buy into in the AFC? In the NFC, you don't need to buy into it. Because there is no need to buy into the fact that there is tons of talent going around in the NFC. Another guy who wanted to get an extension and now just got it, Joey Bosa, just signed a record-breaking extension, the most guaranteed money for a defensive lineman, I think. I don't remember how it was record-breaking. It was some nuanced way. It was like $135 million for five years. So the Chargers, you see them. I mean, they just drafted Justin Herbert. This is their future. Joey Bosa, Justin Herbert, and I think it's a bright future in L.A. As the weather is there, unlike Baltimore where it sure is bright, but it sure is humid as anything. Come on, can't we have like summer without humidity and not wanting to go outside? Because that's it's not how it's like in the entire country. That said, the Chargers are in an interesting place as well just because they're in the AFC West with Patrick Mahomes. And with another young quarterback in Drew Locke. And with an aging quarterback in Derek Carr. So the Chargers are in an interesting position. They're definitely not in an easy position. But Joey wrapping up Joey Bosa to a long-term deal definitely makes sense from the Chargers' perspective. Why does Lamar Jackson constantly, and not just Lamar Jackson, the entire Ravens team constantly on all these Madden lists, NFL Top 100 lists, 
constantly belittled. And it's not like people are going out and insulting him per se like that, but they're going and not putting him as high as they should be. And other Ravens are not as high as they should be. I take a, took a look at the top 100 list. And, I mean, a couple things I noticed. Marlon Humphreys was rated, I believe, 84. Marcus Peters was rated 53. Now, Marcus Peters is good. But here's what makes Marlon Humphreys special, and here's why Marlon Humphreys is a top 50 player in the NFL. There's outside cornerbacks and there's inside cornerbacks. I kind of We kind of mentioned this with Todd. Outside cornerbacks, the Stephon Gilmores, the Marlon Humphreys. Excuse me, the Marcus Peters. Inside cornerbacks, Tavon Young. Slot cornerbacks, guys who are able to play inside, navigate through traffic. Uh, Bill Belichick actually gave a very good explanation of what, why playing an inside cornerback is so hard. Because you're really navigating through traffic. You're navigating through everyone else. you got tight ends in your way. you got wide receivers in your way. you got offensive linemen in your way, possibly. If it's a run-blocking play, it's nuts. It's mayhem. And some of the best receivers, though, are able to go inside. But most of the cornerbacks cannot go inside. The Ravens just paid Tavon Young a record-breaking contract last year to become the highest-paid inside cornerback or slot cornerback, whatever you prefer, in the game. But then Tavon Young went down with an injury, and Marlon Humphrey stepped up and was able to go inside like nobody's business. In fact, he dominated inside. You, I'm sure you all remember where in Week 4 against the Browns, he only allowed two receptions to one of the best receivers in the league, in Odell Beckham Jr. He is that good. Humphrey is fantastic inside and outside. That kind of being able to go inside and outside is unreplicated throughout the NFL. That's why he's so good. And yet he's still dominating both inside and outside. So I'm interested in seeing how that's going to work out. And I'm kind of annoyed that he's only in 84. How did Mark Andrews not make the list? I mean, we're talking one of the most dominant tight ends in the NFL last year. Absolutely dominant. How did Todd Gurley make the list? We're talking about a, a washed-up running back who wasn't that great last year. I don't think he'll be that great in Atlanta this year. And he was, like, pretty high up, way higher than I would put him. How is Jimmy G in the 40s? All Jimmy G does is hand the ball off. Basically, I don't like these lists. And I know it's not just the Ravens that are disrespected. These lists are consist constantly and consistently trash. They're good parts about the list, but they're hard to find. And I'd be okay if they wouldn't even have these lists. I don't need to hear all these lists about who everyone else thinks is top 100 player and completely mess it up and create constant rants and discussion points. I don't need that. Everyone's, I understand everyone's going to have their own opinion. But when you're really messing it up this badly, and it could be the way they do this, because they're pulling a lot of players, if not all the players throughout the league, for their top 100 players. And what could happen is, You've got, you're just averaging out all the picks. And if that's the case, then yeah, maybe Todd Gurley, a bunch of people don't have Todd Gurley on their list, but some people maybe have him really high. That's how he gets on. Maybe that's how Jimmy G's in the 40s because people had him in the, some in the 20s, some in the 60s. Maybe that's how it gets averaged out. If so, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that doesn't, I don't really like that because you're saying that's how you make a list. Like, I wasn't thrilled. I wasn't thrilled at all with the way the list was made or any of these lists are made because they're so consistently I, I mess ups I mean every now and then there's some really good lists and I, I, every list you're going to have people arguing against it and I, I get that but 
I was not impressed with the 2020 NFL Top 100 list, albeit it's not completely announced yet. Well, the MLB's back. Nice to see some baseball players already throwing at some Astros um, on the Astros Shame Tour. But there's also COVID. And Miami Marlins, they played a game against the Phillies, and the players had a couple players that tested positive for COVID. They played regardless. And now about 17 Marlins have COVID. And the entire league is wondering what's going to happen because the Marlins-Orioles games was canceled. The Phillies-Yankees games was canceled. The Phillies and Marlins are both right now in quarantine. Now the Yankees and Orioles are going to be, instead of Orioles playing Marlins, Orioles will play the Yankees right now um, in place of that. And it's basically a mess. There's really not much another way to put it. Which is okay that it's a mess. But it'll be interesting to see how it's going to work out in the long run. Because the NFL's, excuse me, the MLB is going to have to get their act together fast if they want to continue the season. Which I think they are right now. I think right now, I don't like the way they initially responded. Right now, I think they're going to be able to keep on playing. And I like what they're doing. And I'm, I mentioned the NFL at the wrong time. The NFL's going to have to take a page out of the MLB's books and figure out how they can do a non-bubble sports season because that's going to be their challenge because players are going to get COVID. But what's going to determine the success and longevity of this 2020 sports seasons is how the league, the players, and the media respond to when players and coaches get COVID-19. And that'll be interesting to see how it works out. And I'll continue to keep you updated. Maybe I'll get an MLB guest on here soon to talk about that, maybe in a couple of weeks or so, once we're a little bit farther into the MLB season. Thanks for listening to this edition of Sports with Yosef. I'm Yosef Center. I'll see you next time.